Greetings. Welcome to Calvary Christian Fellowship. Are we ready to get started? All right. I think I am too. We'll see how this works. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We pray for your leading and guiding tonight. Father, I pray very specifically as we dig into this subject tonight that you would help us, that you would give us understanding. You would help us to see uh, what it is you want us to see from this work. And, Lord, as so many have dug in and tried to look at this from so many different perspectives, Lord, it's your sovereignty you want us to, to recognize. It's that you are sovereign over time. And we live in that moment, in that time. Lord, may we not be the same after we've looked into your word as we were before. Move into and through us. Help me, Father, to make these things clear this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are, thank you. We are at the um, the famous or infamous, depending on how you want to talk about it, passage of Daniel 70 weeks. This is what we're going to be covering tonight. Um, and when you, um, when we get into it and we begin to look at all the different ways the scholars have looked at this, You'll see why I say you can call it famous or you can call it infamous. Um, they, the, there are some scholars that call it the, what, how do they put it? The dismal, the dark dismal abyss of Old Testament uh, interpretation. You know, like this is the, the darkest place. This is the hardest. And, and it, is, it is a very difficult passage to exegete. And so what we're going to do tonight, um, it may be a, a bit tedious, but I think it's worth it. I, I kind of debated how we go through this. But what we're going to do, we're going to read the passage, and we're going to look at it. And we'll, we're going to, I'm going to intro the Daniel 9, the prayer part, because it really sets us up for it. And there, I think there's a, something very key in the prayer that sets us up for the, the, you know, when Gabriel shows up and talks about this whole 70 weeks thing. Um, and sc- scholars have literally wrestled with this for years, and there's different constructs that they've come up with to understand it. And so we're going to look at all of them. And then we're going to take a shot. Well, I'm going to take a shot at what I think is the, you know, the way to go with it. Um, and I'll, I'll probably telegraph it up front, kind of where I'm leading when, as we get closer to it. Um, but uh, I do think it's important to to really take a moment and, and give each one the, the credibility that it's, you know, because the chances are some of you here have a way you've already looked at it. And but I don't know how many of us have actually considered how other people have looked at it. And what I would submit is it's not a passage that you can that you can get super dogmatic about in its hard interpretation, but there is meaning in it that we do need to take from it, and that's regardless of what position you take on it. All right? Are we ready? How is that for an introduction to a passage? <laughs> All right, let's get into this. So this is the book of Daniel, chapter 9. We're using um, uh, Wendy Witter's work in... Um, uh, uh, Brian, can you click on the screen for me? I don't think he's back there. Sally, would you real fast click on the screen for me? So we're using Wendy Witter's work out of um, uh, uh, Lagos Mobile Ed. Mobile Ed and um, she actually came out, she just came out with a brand new commentary. If somebody wants a detailed commentary 
on the book of Daniel. She has a brand new commentary she just came out with. My son got it for me for my birthday, so I've been perusing it and using it. And it was actually kind of helpful getting to this part here. Um, and uh, But we're using her work in, there we go, Adelagos Mobile Ed uh, as, the, as probably the main source and and the work that she's done going through this. So, who can tell me quickly uh, what are the th- what are the three points of of the theological overview of the Book of Daniel as a whole? God is sovereign. The sovereignty of God. Very good. Okay, that's thirty three points right there. What's another one? That's right. God is in continuingly caring for his people. He's continuingly caring for his people. And what's the third one? That's 33 points. Sorry, Carmen. What was it? Apostate? Hmm. Oh, 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 apocalypse, apocalypse. Actually, the, the third one is narrative through story, but apocalypse is one of the genres of the literature. Yeah, so narrative and um, uh, narrative and, and, and apocalypse are the two types of, main types of literature we find in here. But it's theology through story. We, we read the stories, we look at the lives, and this, the stories are giving us theology from it, which is hugely important. It makes connections in all of the scripture. All right, so... Um, and, and again, just kind of the, I always like to take the 10,000 foot view. Where are we in our study? Um, and then we'll get, dive into the weeds. So where are we in our study as a whole? I'm using, this is Dr. John Lennox's division of the book. He calls it part A and part B, and they mirror one another. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. Um, you know, you start off in chapter one with in Daniel in a Babylonian court. In chapter six, he's in the Medo, uh, uh Persian court. In 2 and 3, there are two images. In 7 and 8, there are two visions of beasts. In, two, in 4 and 5, there are two kings disciplined. In nine, uh, uh, chapter 9 and chapters 10 through 11, there are two writings explained. So where are we? We're in this chapter 9, this first writing that's being explained. Okay, so for 45 points, what writing is being explained here? Hmm. The writings of what prophet? Jeremiah, 45 points right there. Yeah, that's right. He's reading the book of Jeremiah. He's reading the letters of Jeremiah, and it's stirring him up, and it's led him into this prayer. Um, so uh, this, this chapter 9 is unique in the entire book. It's the, it's the only section in the book, uh, in the apocryphal part, where we don't have an oppressive re- regime um, uh, we don't, um, and, and we see what Daniel reflecting on the prophecies of Jeremiah. It's this lengthy prayer. We went through it uh, exegetically. We went through, you know, line by line, looking at it. It's a prayer of confession, prayer of supplication. It's the first time this we get to see Daniel's intimacy in prayer. Right? Um, we saw that he's prayed in other places, but this is where he's. We're actually seeing the prayer, and by seeing the prayer, you kind of get a you, you get a, a feel for the character, for the man. You see the intimacy in his relationship with God. Um, and this is also different because in other sections of the book, there's some kind of a revelation that happens first, and then there's um, uh, an explanation. Whereas this, he's praying first, and then an angel shows up. 
He's not praying to, to, to get interpretation. He's praying, and an angel shows up, and then he goes, oh, I wish I had the interpretation. <laughs> no, actually, I'm saying I wish I had the interpretation. But anyway, let's keep going. Um, so the, the book over, overall is it's a historic inter- introduction for a couple of verses. Um, we've got Daniel's prayer uh, from um, uh, 3 through 19, and then we have the revelation of 70 weeks which is uh, what we're going to be looking at tonight, verses 20 through 27. So, um, I'm not going to go through this. We went through all this before. You can get my notes and you can take a look at all this. There is one thing I do want to, I do need to go through right here. So when Daniel is reflecting on Jeremiah's writing, this is going to come really important into our study tonight. Um, He's reflecting on it. He realizes 70 years have to pass and then that's the end of exile. When 70 years are over, it's the end of exile. The desolations are over, of Jerusalem is over, and they can go back. Babylon is promised to be dispro- destroyed. Jeremiah says Babylon's going to be destroyed. So Daniel's reading these letters, and he's, and he's trying to figure out when this is going to happen. And so um, these things are accomplished from prophecy, and, um, um, but, but not everything in these prophecies are accomplished. And so, so he's, he's beginning to pray. Why? Because... Babylon's been destroyed, because remember, this is in the time of the Medo-Persian Empire now, but they're not back. So he's reading the, pre- the, the, the scriptures, and he's realizing something needs to happen before they go back, because the scriptures say something needs to happen. What do they say? They say the people need to confess. They need to repent. They need to call upon the Lord, and then God will fulfill this. And so Daniel then begins to act the word of God out, to obediently um, uh, act uh, according to the word of God, confessing the sins of the nation um, to see God's word come to pass. And um, he's confessing nationally. Now, this is really important where we're going because this whole 70, what does 70 mean? Now, we talked about what it meant in the prayer, and I'm going to go back over that because we're going to be literally camped out on this whole thing tonight on 70 when Gabriel starts talking about it. So there's three ways we figured out that you can interpret 70. You can look at 70 and say it's literal. And, but if you say it's literal, you've got to find a starting date and you've got to find an ending date. And it has to be 70 years. And that's not as easy to do as you might think. That gets a little bit difficult. Now, there are some possible dates you can use, um, and, and, and people use them. Um, but there's another way to look at the 70. The 70 just represents a round number. If you remember in the psalmist, the psalmist says in verse 90, I mean Psalm 90 verse 10, it says, look, how many, what's the number of years of man? 70 years. And if you're really righteous, 80 years. Did he mean that, you know, once your birthday hits, the, 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 the hour that you were born on the seventh year, bam, your life? No. It's a round number of, the, of, the, of a life, a full life lived. So an exile for the full life lived. And then when you go over to, to um, uh, uh, Chronicles, you find that it's actually used in a quite symbolic way that, that, um, that uh, simply represents a span of time like a human life, a complete span of time. It, it's done its completeness. And I would submit this is how 70 is used, that 70 is a number of 7 is a complete number, 10 is a complete number, 10 times 7 means a perfect completion. It's a perfect completion here. So when the fullness of this exile time is up, then you will go back. And these are the events that define what the fullness of that exile looks like. 
Babylon will be destroyed. The nation will repent. This will happen. This will happen. And then we know the 70 years are up. We know the time for this is up. I submit to you that's really important to understand the 70 weeks. That's my takeaway for understanding the 70 weeks. I'm kind of telescoping a little bit ahead of time where, where I'm going with this. And so we looked. There were four segments of the prayer, and we saw that. Um, and then we get to this uh, moment where he's in the middle of praying, and all of a sudden something fantastic, something amazing happens. Um, and I'm going to, if you want to read in your own Bibles, you can open up your own Bibles, but we're going to jump in and we're going to read the, the, the story together right here at this point. So I'm going to be, you can read along on the screen as well if you like. This is Daniel 9, verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the, the sin of uh, my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, I'm going to stop, pause for a minute. What we're going to notice, because I'm reading right now from the ESV. Now, if you're reading in other translations, like for specifically, I know the NASB, and we're going to contrast the NASB. There's some things in the Hebrew here that are difficult to interpret. Um, And right here, the ESV says, he came to me in the swift flight at the time. But if you look in the the NASB, and we'll look at it later, it says in the time of my weariness. And we'll we'll discuss what what those differences are when when I get there. But I'm, I'm just wanting to point this out ahead of time. If you're reading in a different translation, you may see some differences. And some of those differences are ultimately going to tie back to how scholars end up trying to interpret the whole passage and what the 70 weeks mean. Because if the Hebrew means one thing, it could mean this. But if the Hebrew means something else, it could mean this. And these are all going to be issues we're going to look at tonight. So put on your Bible scholar hats because we're all going to be Bible scholars tonight. All right? And some people are going, woohoo. <laughs> but no, we, we will get somewhere. We will get somewhere. All right. So, and the other thing I want to point out is he's really making the point. I was praying. I was literally in the praying. While I'm praying, I'm in the middle of praying. And Gabriel shows up. Oh, my goodness. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for, for mercy... A word went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. Now catch this. This is a list. This is what is 70 weeks means. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. So 70 weeks are decreed, and here, to me, this is the whole crux of everything we're going to be talking about tonight. Everything's going to break down to this is the point. Remember, in, in ancient literature, often your point's in the middle, not at the end. Often it's in the middle. And so we get to the end, and we look to the end, and we're scratching our heads. I don't get it, because we went over where the main point was. All right, let's keep going. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, 
It shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. Verse 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat and even in times of distress. Now notice I read the same verse out of two different translations. Did you catch the difference? I'm going to do that again. So this is the ESV. This is the ESV right here. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. This translation, ESV's, breaks the seven weeks off right there, stops it, and then says there's a second period of time. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moats, but in a, in a troubled time. And notice it says there will be a prince, an anointed one. Okay? When I go to the NASB, it says something a little different. It says, so you're to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, so far so good. Until Messiah the Prince. Now here it's saying, it's specifically saying Messiah the Prince, not an anointed one, a prince. There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It's tying the two together, not breaking them in two. And it says, it will be built again with plaza and moat and even in times of distress. Now, these are important distinctions, and we'll look at why and kind of where some of this comes from. But I'm just wanting us to see if you're reading in your Bible and, and you heard it a little different in yours, there's good reason why. Okay, verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the, and, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Now I'm going to read that in NASB. Then after the 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war. Desolations are determined. You see, we had this Messiah continued from the previous verse in the NASB. But when we have it in the ESV, it seems like there's two different anointed one figures. What does that mean? We're going to explore that. Verse 27. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. And then, Dan, and then Gabriel leaves and says, okay, there, there you go. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm not, I'm not so sure I have more understanding afterwards than before. <laughs> All right. So let's make some observations. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to make some general observations. And then we're going to, then what we're going to go is there's five key points we have to interpret. Five key points that we have to interpret. And after we interpret those five key points, we're going to combine those various interpretations to see how potentially we can, we can interpret this passage. Sound like fun? Yeah, I will have charts, so that's going to be helpful. Okay. Um, so the first thing is, um, this is a very peculiar answer 
for a prayer. I mean, it's not what he's expecting, right? So what he's praying for is the end of exile. And ultimately what Gabriel says, yeah, the end of exile is coming, but guess what? It gets worse. I mean, wow. Makes you, <laughs> I'm praying he's pouring out in repentance to, to, to the Lord. And he says, yeah, that 70 year period is coming, but wait till you have to deal with the 70 years. Or the 70 weeks. So what in the world, what in the world does this 70 weeks thing mean? Okay, we're going we're gonna to look in Scripture and break this down. Because what it's at 77s, 70 weeks, 77s. What does this mean? So the way most scholars interpret it is it means 70 weeks of years. Or 70 times 7 would be 490 years. So the way most scholars interpret it is that it would be calculated out as 490 years. 70 sevens. 70 times 7. Now there is very good reason to interpret it that way. And we're going to look at about three or four different places where the scriptures give reason to interpret that way. So it's very similar, if you will, to the Jubilee. Now who's heard of a Jubilee? Okay. The Jubilee is hugely important in theology. It's hugely important. You shall count, this is in Leviticus chapter 25, you shall count seven weeks of years. Now notice, same language, seven weeks. Not 70 weeks, but seven. Seven weeks of years. Seven sevens of years. Which would, how many years would that be? Seven sevens. 49, that's right. Seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49. So you shall count 49 years, and after that 49th year was the year of Jubilee. It was the year of freedom. It was the, 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 the reset year. If you, were, um, if you were indentured as a slave, you're set free. If you uh, were not living on your, um, uh, uh, your inherited homelands, your land was returned to you. Everything reset in the year of Jubilee. It was the year of setting free. It was the year of all debts were released. There's no more debt. In fact, if you, if you, if you were in debt to someone, you always calculated that payback of that debt to the year of Jubilee. Because once Jubilee had, bam, it's, it's got to be forgiven. It's, it's released. And Jesus, when he goes in uh, uh, he, he, and he's proclaiming, in the synagogue, and he's reading from the prophets, he's proclaiming the favorable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee has come because it has come in me. I am the one who frees all debts. I am the one who sets the captives free. I am the one who returns right inheritance to its right place. So this year of Jubilee is hugely important, and I feel like it, it plays into understanding these 70 years because it's 10 Jubilees. It's ten jubilees. And what is ten? Perfect completion. It's perfect freedom. I'm, I'm telescoping my opinion of the 70 weeks. So the jubilee is 70 weeks of years. We take seven times seven, we get 49 years. The next year was a jubilee. It's also similar to Daniel 10, which we'll be studying in the coming weeks, right? In Daniel 10... It says, desirable bread I have, I have not eaten, and flesh and wine hath not come into my mouth, and, and I have not anointed myself at all till the completion of three weeks of days. So the point being is how is this word weeks being used? Three weeks, three sevens. So I take three, 
times 7, and I get 21 days. And we know that Daniel was fasting for 21 days. Three weeks of days, he was fasting for 21 days. So you get three, uh, three weeks of days. You have three weeks. You multiply it by the 7, you get to 21 days. And so we're, we're getting something similar here. So when we get in Daniel 9 here, and we have 70 weeks of years. It's 70 times 7, 490 years. So, um, and, I'm, and I took the time to go through that to say it was, it's not just fanciful to say, oh, yeah, this means years. There's good scriptural reason to support it, and it ties to something really important. It ties to this jubilee thing. Ten jubilees, oh, my goodness, the perfect year of freedom. Okay. So here's our big question. Are you ready for the big question? Is it literal? Just like we asked about the 70, it's why I went back and re-looked at was the 70 years of exile literal. We spent a lot more time on it when we studied a couple weeks ago. But, we, you know, I don't know if you remember, and at the end of our discussion, we were, most of us were, were likely it's not probably not literal. There's probably, it's probably symbolic in some way. And so is it literal or is it symbolic? And uh, don't worry if you hold a literal position. We're going to show that position too. We're going to look at all of them. Um, and, but, uh, and then the second big question is, what's the purpose of the 70 weeks? What's he trying to do with the 70 weeks? And I've already highlighted this for us. The purpose of the 70 weeks, he told us it's right in the middle. The whole point of his message was in the middle, not the end. It's to finish transgression, it's to make an end of sin, it's to make atonement for iniquity, it's to bring in everlasting righteousness, it's to seal up vision and prophecy, and it's to anoint the most holy place. So, whatever we take from how it's calculated, that's what we're to take from its meaning. So we can all agree on its meaning, regardless if we agree on how it's calculated. Does that make sense? All right. So this is uh, from Joyce Baldwin, a scholar. Uh, Joyce Baldwin, she's um, uh, got some really good commentary on Daniel, if you get one of hers. This is, um, she says this, if you look at those first three, they address the negative grounds on which God forgives sin. And the second three are the positive fulfillment of God's righteous purpose in human, in human history. So take a look at that. The negative grounds. In other words, God's dealing with sin, finishing transgression, making an end of sin, make, uh, making an end of atonement, and then we get to the positive side, bringing in everlasting righteousness, um, uh, sealing up vision and prophecy, anointing the holy place. It's, it's interesting how it goes kind of from a God doing uh, cleansing what's negative in order to bring in what's positive. It's an, interesting, it's an interesting observation there, Dr. Baldwin. All right, so when do these things happen? Do they happen in the first advent of Jesus? Did they happen in the second advent of Christ? Did they happen before Jesus? When did these things happen? Are they, are they telescopic? Do they happen on a multiple level? Um, and, and why are there three periods of time? Why did it get broken up to seven weeks, 62 weeks, and then a final week? Why was it broken up in that way? So these are all questions that... Um, uh, that need to be uh, uh, considered as we're going through this. All right. So I told you before, we're going to go through five key interpretive issues. So there's five issues we need to look at. And as we look at each one of these little issues and make a decision on how that issue gets interpreted, 
Then we take all those little interpretations together, and it gives us a bigger picture. Okay? So that's where we're going to go. We're going to look at five issues that, that, as, as, that as Gabriel is talking to us, we have to look at each one of these little pictures and go, well, does that mean this or does that mean this? Well, does that mean this? Now, quite frankly, there's a whole lot more than five. We're just going to look at the five most key ones. Okay? There's a lot more than five here, but we're going to look at the five most key ones as we go through this. All right. So the first one is issue, key issue number one. Key issue number one. Whose word? Whose word? A word went out. Whose word? When did that word go out? What word are we talking about? Because it's a starting point. The Daniel 9.25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word. I guess it would be important to know what word and when it went out. Whose word is this? Who's the, whose word? Who's the one speaking? To restore and to build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed when a prince there shall be seven weeks. So we can't even begin to start counting and looking at all this until we can figure out whose word it is. Now, there's two possibilities. This going out, it's a starting point for the decree. Is it God's word about rebuilding Jerusalem? Um, so uh, I'll say it up front. Is it God's word or is it, a pro- is it an edict, a king speaking? Um, let me say that. Those are the two possibilities. Now, what we're going to do first is we're going to look at is God's prophetic word going out about the rebuilding of Jerusalem? Now, let's dig into the word word for a minute. Um, the, word, the, the, the word for word, it's just really funny to even say. The word for word is word. No, the word for word is devar. Devar. In Hebrew, it's devar. Okay? And um, in Aramaic, it's memra. Anybody heard of the, you know, memra? Um, in Greek, it's lagos. Who's heard of lagos? Jesus, in the beginning was the word. Um, uh, so... This is the same word that the prophets use whenever they say, this is the word of Yahweh, this is the word of the Lord, and this is the word of the Lord. You read this over and over and over in the prophets. And this is the word of the Lord. So when they're saying that, with that word, word, <laughs> the word for word is devar. I hope that's not confusing. Is it confusing to you all when I'm saying this? Okay, thank you. Now what's interesting is that word's never used for an edict when a king has an edict or a decree. It's never used that way. Um, doesn't mean it can't be. It's just we don't find it used that way. We always see it used, um, however, when it's the word of Yahweh going out. All right, so in this context, Gabriel, it, Gabriel is present. Why is Gabriel there? Well, he tells us, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. Gabriel's telling you, I'm here because a word went out. So is that the word? Do we start there? Is it a word that can win it? So if the, if, if the word is going out from Yahweh, so if this happens to be Yahweh, a word from Yahweh that starts the 70 weeks or the seven weeks, we have three choices. There are three different choices it could be. It could be Jeremiah's prophecy. Remember, this is, this is tying to Jeremiah's prophecy. We, we read through those prophecies a couple of weeks ago. In, um, in, in Jeremiah 25, this, is, this would have been 605 B.C., at the beginning of the exile. The word went out at the beginning of the exile. He prophesied that you're going to go into exile, and then the, afterwards the temple will be rebuilt. So is it starting there? That could be one of them. Um, then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldees for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making 
the land an everlasting waste. It, did it start? Did it start there? We, if you went right on further, it could also be Jeremiah's prophecy that we looked at later in chapter thirty, um, in chapter thirty-one, which was in five eighty-seven BC, which was when Israel, when the temple was destroyed, um, about Israel's restoration. So could could this have been the word of Yahweh that went out when Isaiah, when Jeremiah prophesied then? Because the word went out from Jeremiah, this is the word of the Lord, if we're going to use this means of understanding it. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mounds and the palace shall stand where it used to be. Verse 38 and 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananael to the corner gate. So, but it could also be this word right here. Gabriel just said he came based on the word of the Lord. And so this would be 539 B.C. So it could be this one, Daniel 925, his words to Daniel. A word went out, you were seeking mercy, and I'm here. So we have three possibilities if, it's, if it is, in fact, a word from Yahweh that starts this process. Okay. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one. We've read this a few times. I won't keep going through it. However, if the word is actually not God's word going out, but the decree of a king, guess what, how many possibilities we have? Four possibilities. All right. So it could be, it could be a Cyrus. Cyrus issues an edict. Um, it's, it's recorded in the book of Ezra, and it's also in 539 B.C. So this kind of coincides with, with, um, with uh, Gabriel, right, this time frame. Um, and he issues a decree for the rebuilding of the temple. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And so we get this, we get this pagan king. Now, it's important. He's a, to understand it because he's going to come, he's going to show up in some other parts of our interpretations as well. This Cyrus guy. He's a Persian king, a pagan king, a Persian king, and yet he recognizes that Yahweh has called him to do some things. And so this is an important point in history. Could it be this? Could this be the starting point? The second one is there was a decree by Darius I. This was in 521, and it was about rebuilding the temple. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy the house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. I'm not reading the whole passage. I'm just reading a section to show. Look, he's saying, go build it. And anybody, may, may they be destroyed, who stops you from building this. And he puts forth a decree. And so this would have been another point. But then we also have these decrees by Artaxerxes. We actually get two decrees by Artaxerxes. One to Ezra in, in, 580, in, in 485 B.C. Now, he's decreeing this return, but he's not decreeing a building, a rebuilding. But a lot of people are not bringing it up because a lot of people use this date. Why? Because he does give a decree about a return. 
Um, and then we get uh, um, uh, uh, Artaxerxes, king, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or their Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. And so he's making a decree for people to return. Is it, is it this decree? And yet there's one more. He makes a, a similar decree, decree to Nehemiah. And this is in 445 B.C. And a lot of people like to use this date. And, 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 and um, I'll, I'll say this now. The reason why, you know, like you look at this, you may be looking at this with me. And you go, well, okay, well, there's no rebuilding of Jerusalem. And he says it's going to be, why would they use this date? Well, because we have this 70 years. And now if I'm going to take that 70, that's 490 years, I'm going to make it literal I've got to start with a literal number, and then I've got to, and if I think it means this event over here, I've got to add 490 to something. You see how, why it can be these different possibilities? If you're, if you're stuck on it being literal, you've got to find a literal date to make it tied to. And so that's why all these possibilities come to the surface. All right. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. And now the king had sent me with his officers of the army and horsemen. So the king's sending. He's given letters. It's a decree. It's another date. All right. So the summary on key issue number one is this. The word. Whose word? Yahweh's word. King's word. Whose word? We need to know who. Once we know who, we can see when. All right. Key issue number two. And like I said, what I'm going to do, just so you know, because I'm like, I'm not telling you who's word or what right now. Um, we're going to, after we look at the five issues, then we'll combine them in various ways to see how people have interpreted it. We'll say, okay, if you choose this and you choose this and you choose this and you choose this, this is what you end with. But if you choose this and you choose this and you choose this and you choose this, this is what you end with. And we're going to look at those, those various ways. All right. Is everybody with me? I mean, I know this is highly detailed. I know, I know that. So um, trust me. Trust, try to write all this down <laughs> step by step, layer by layer, and think, how do I explain this in a way that makes sense? Okay? So key issue number two. We had this two thing of the seven weeks and the 62 weeks, and we've got an interpretive issue going on here. Okay, is this one combined period of time, or is it two separate periods of time? If it's one combined, then all the conditions are met by the one combined time. But if it's two separate, then what conditions apply to the first period of time, and what conditions apply to the second period of time? Do you see? So we've got to make some choices and decisions here. So how do scholars look at this? So once again, and I pointed this out earlier, so we had a little introduction to this. Are we going to follow basically the, the path of interpretation that the interpreters of the NASB followed, their interpretive choices? Are we going to follow the interpretive choices that the scholars who interpreted the, uh, did the, trans, the ESV translation? Um, okay, so now why did the NASB scholars pick, pick when, when they're um, uh, doing their uh, in, um, um, translation, why did they pick those words for their translation? Well, you've got some common ancient translations of the text way back, you know, uh, um, that, that are pretty old. And we had to remember we had this discussion last week about scholars, some going back and picking some things from the Dead Sea Scrolls and picking some things from the Septuagint rather than the Masoretic text. Well, this is another one of those issues. See, if you're going to follow the Masoretic text, which in this case, the ESV follows the Masoretic text, that's going to be 
That's going to get you one translation. But if you're going to go back to some more ancient translations, and and if you clearly understand or believe that this anointed one he's talking about is Jesus, well, then you're going to interpret the anointed one as Messiah, as Jesus. That's how you're going to put it. That's going to how it's going to be in your text. All right. So. You are to know, and we, we read this before, you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to, the rest, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62. So he's combining the seven and 62. He doesn't separate them. And he's calling them Messiah, the Prince. And it will be built again with the plaza of the moat and even in times of distress. So there's going to decree to go out. Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt. And, 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 uh, and, and in, in all of that, you're going to have Messiah, the Prince. And, it's in, and there's going to be distress, and there's going to be all kinds of things that's going to happen during this 69 years. So this translation combines 7 and the 62, puts them together for 69 years. That's 7 plus 62 for those that, you know, I don't have enough fingers and need to see it, right? Um, so the word goes out, and then 69 weeks. During that period of time, Jerusalem is rebuilt. During that pe- period of time, Messiah the Prince comes. This is kind of how this is looking at it. Um, on the other hand, we have the ESV who, who sticks a little closer to the Masoretic text. And again, we read that and we see, I'm not going to read this because I want us to see how it breaks it into two. Knowing therefore and understand from the going out of the word. To restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming, to what? To the coming of an anointed one. Now, now it's really important to understand Anointed one is used in the scriptures multiple times for for characters other than it's not only used for Jesus. Kings are anointed one. Prophets are anointed one. We're going to find out Cyrus, that king, is called an anointed one by the prophets. So this term anointed one doesn't have to refer to the Messiah. Okay? And so an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks... It shall be built again with squares and moats and in, in, in trouble time. So how does this look? This looks, this looks this way. A word goes out. Then you have seven weeks. Then you have an anointed one. Then you have 62 weeks of years. And during that period of time, Jerusalem is rebuilt. Do you follow that? A word goes out. Then you have seven weeks of years, 49 years. And after that 49-year period of time, an anointed one appears. And then... You have a 62-week period of time, and during that 62-week period of time, the temple is built. Jerusalem is rebuilt. Everybody follow that? That's the other way of looking at this. All right. Now, in the Hebrew, actually in the Hebrew of the Masoretic, there is, there is a clausal break between the, 70, the 7 and the 62. So if you are following the Masoretic text, you have a clausal break. It's represented as two separate time frames. They each have their own distinctives. If you're following that text. Now, some scholars argue this. Now, this is a really interesting. That that causal break was not actually in the original Hebrew, but was added by Jewish scribes later after the time of Christ to make it a passage that can't be about Christ. Isn't that interesting? Not all scholars say that. Not all scholars agree with that. I'm just putting out there, this is the discussion. If we're going to do and try to interpret, why am I going into this this so detailed? 
Because you will hear so many people teach what the 70 weeks are, and they will stand up and swear and point that this is what they are. And I'm telling you, they can't know it as emphatically as they're saying it. There are a lot of ways of looking at this, but there are things we can know, and if you stick with me to the end, we will get there. We will get there. But we do need to look at the way this is seen in the Christian world and in the interpretive world. So, in response to Christian interpretation of Daniel 9, by adding the break, it's harder to interpret the text as being about Jesus in this place. That doesn't mean these scholars who, who, who do this don't believe that, that there's prophecies about Jesus. There are, many that, there are many evangelical scholars who say, yeah, I believe in prophecy about Jesus. I just don't think this gets there because of the way I see the text. Do you follow that? All right. So the summary on this one. Does the 7 plus 62 equal 69 combined? Or are they two distinct time frames with each having something, you know, 7 years, a prince, 62 years, the, the temple, Jerusalem. All right. So the third issue, the third issue. We have the first anointed one and the end of the first seven weeks. Who's, who are these people? If we get to this first, this, you have seven weeks and anointed one. Okay, if that is a viable interpretation, who are they? What does it mean? So we're going to ask two questions in one question here. This first anointed one, and when is this first seven weeks over? Okay, when is this over, and who's this first anointed one? Um, So the first anointed one, we have two options. It could be two people. This first anointed one could be two different people. Um, I'm not going to read the scripture again. Option number one, someone involved in the return from, uh, from the exile. So it could be. That after that seven weeks, there are people returning. There could be somebody in those people who are returning who are anointed. Now, we actually have three different people who are considered anointed, anointed ones, in the group of returning exiles. So in the returning exiles, there are three different characters in the scripture who are anointed ones. You have Persian King Cyrus. He's the one that issues it. And and, uh, Isaiah says, he is my anointed one he was anointed by god thus says the lord to his anointed to cyrus does it get any more to his messiah whose right hand i have grasped to subdue nations before him to loose the belts of kings i'm going to keep going it could also be zerubbabel how many people are familiar with zerubbabel zerubbabel is a character we find in the book of uh um, Zechariah, he was actually a direct descendant of David. Oh, my goodness. A descendant of David, an anointed one. He was also governor of Judah, and he oversaw the rebuilding of Jerusalem. This could be the seven weeks, an anointed one, now the rebuilding. Huh. Kind of makes sense. It could also, then there, then, and in Zechariah, it says, then there are these two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Um, and the second one in that Zechariah pa- passage is a priest, is a, is a high priest. His name is Joshua, which, by the way, is um, the English form of Yehoshua, which is the Hebrew for Yeshua, which is Jesus. 
But this isn't, I'm not trying to say he's Jesus. I'm just saying that that's what that name means. Yahweh saves. Refers to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. He's the first high priest of the remnant that returns from the exile. Well, the high priest is considered an anointed one. The high priest is an anointed one. And what is he doing? Overseeing the rebuilding of the temple. So, I mean, this could, this could make some sense here. All right. Um, so, again, we've looked at the scripture. So all three of these are associated with the first wave of Jews returning from exile somewhere around 39, 38 B.C., somewhere in that period of time. What's the second option? Who could it be? This Messiah, this anointed one. It could be Jesus. We've already talked about that. That's how the NASB is interpreting it. Somehow we combine these two sets of years, and somehow we find a starting point that gets us to 69 years, and we get to Jesus. And we're going to look at how, how some of the ways we can get there. But this is the other option. But what I'm saying is we have different options here. All right. So, um, but once again, it requires us, if we do that, if we get it to be Jesus, we can't read it as two separate periods of time because the anointed one is tied, clearly tied, based on the Masoretic text, to the seven weeks, not to the full 69. So if we're following the Masoretic text, we can't get to Jesus. Okay? So you've you got to make some choices at some point. You have to make some assumptions ahead of time. Did the Masoretic text get it wrong? Were the scribes purposely doing this? Were they trying to deflect? It's possible. Um, and, or is it, uh, you know, we've, we've seen other places similar to that. All right. If the 70 weeks began somewhere between the 5th and 7th century B.C., then... That would require the entire 69 weeks to be Jesus, right? So if we're, if we're saying this is going to be somewhere, you know, back around 500, uh, 400, 500 B.C., it's going to take your whole 16, your whole 490 years to get to the time of Jesus, somewhere in there. All right. Um, now, when in the life of Jesus would this come? So, again, if you're going to be, if you're going to be a literalist and you're going to pick 49 years and you're going to pick a starting point, is it going to end on Jesus' birth? Is it going to end on his baptism? Is it going to be the triumphal entry? There's, what date are you going to go with here as to where it ends? Okay? And so that's another issue that, that comes up in trying to interpret this. So um, when are the first seven weeks complete? Um, so if we go back to our first option, we've got these first seven weeks. If, if, the, if, if we're going to assume now for the moment, we're going to go back to the 7 and 69 being, 62 being separate times for a moment we'll look at that if they're separate then the seven weeks the the end uh, end at the end of the exile 539 for the for uh, 538 and so then you get an anointed one who's a key player in the return of the exile you get see the cyrus Zerubbabel, joshua one of these one of these individuals could all fit one of them um so we clearly see the 77 weeks are over at 539 538 and then we move to the 62 weeks of years. Okay? Now we're counting the years at a different period of time here. So that, that, that you'd have to back up from 539 for that first 49 years. Okay? So if they're combined, then the ending point of the whole thing has to be during the life of Jesus at some point. So how we, you notice, you've got to make some textual decisions to get to um, some interpretive decisions. This, the exegesis comes before the interpretation. All right. Number four. 
The second anointed one. We have a second one. We go to the next verse. There's another anointed one mentioned. Can we talk about him for a minute? After the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end shall come with a flood. And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Gabriel, you're one happy dude. Um, I'm glad he talked about all the good stuff before he got here. So, we see here the possibility of a second anointed one, because this one is tied to the 62 weeks. If we say we're going to separate them into two, it has to be a different anointed one. All right, um, but if we, if we are in the NASB, we already looked at this, we see, we see these as tied together and it refers to Jesus. So, is this the same person or is it different? What does cut off mean? What does it mean he was cut off? That would help us try to decide who he is. If we know what it means for him to be cut off, it would help us to decide who he is. So um, when are the 62 weeks over? So if the anointed one in 25 and 26, if they're the same person, then it's Jesus. And being cut off is clear. It's the cross. Okay, that becomes fairly easy to look at. If we're going to see it as whole, when we're going to see it as Jesus, we're going to see him. The cutoff point is when he's crucified. That's when he's cut off. Now, some are not sure if the cross is at the end of the 69 weeks. Some say it actually comes in the middle of the 70th week. All right? So, but clearly, either they're going to be after 69 weeks, either way. The 69 weeks are over, and then we have the Messiah cut off. Okay? So we get to the whole thing, and the Messiah is cut off. It's either after the 69 now, is it right at the end of the 69th, or is it in the middle of the 70th week? Which one is it? Uh, which one depends on how you interpret verse 27? And we haven't even gotten there yet. We're just working the issues out towards there. Okay, here's verse 27. And he, who he? Who he? And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come, shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So there is someone who's going to come along and he is going to make a covenant. And there's going to be an abomination of desolation, a desecration of the temple. And this is how this, uh, 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 until, until, until the, the desolation is, is, uh, and, and, and is complete, until it's full, until it has its fullness, until it's over. It has its fullness, which once again takes us back to this 70. 70 is about fullness, until the fullness of it's over. Okay, so let's make some choices here. Let's, 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 let's think this through. Stick with me. If the cross ends the 69 weeks, then we are currently in the gap before the 70th week. If the cross ended the 70, 69 weeks, if that was over at the cross, then we are currently in the gap of the 70th week, which is coming in the time of the Antichrist. Okay? That's how some people look at this text. This is one of the ways of looking at it. Jesus died. It was cut off right then. And we are literally in the uh, coming of the Antichrist. We're in this gap. Now, if the cross is in the middle of the 69 weeks, 
We are currently in the, I mean, was in the middle of the 70th week, after the 69 weeks. I wrote that wrong. We are currently in the gap of the middle of the 70th week, which is coming at the time of Antichrist. This is the way that some will look at this. Do you follow that? There's a gap. Either way, there's a gap. The 70 years has a gap in it. It's not a continuous 70 when you're looking at it this way. There's a gap in there somewhere. Now, if there are two different anointed ones, we're going to go back to the ESV look at this in the the Masoretic text. The first one is either Cyrus, Zerubbabel, or Joshua, one of those three. Who's who's the second one? Um, Well, one of the people it could very well have been was Onias III, who was a high priest who was murdered in 171 B.C. Um, And the 62 weeks would literally end with his murder. He's a high priest, he's an anointed one, and he was brutally murdered. Um, uh, and it could very possibly tie, he's a very historical figure, and it could tie to him being cut off, his murder, him being cut off. And now we start our time into the 70th week from that point. Um, that would have been around 171 B.C. Now, if there are two different anointed ones, um, the second anointed one could also be the Antichrist. It could refer to, we could be referring to the first anointed one as Cyrus, Zerubbabel, or Joshua. But we could also be referring to him as the Antichrist, anointed for destruction. Anointed for destruction. There are those who are anointed, i.e., Pharaoh. Pharaoh was anointed for destruction. He is a type of Antichrist, a type and pattern of Antichrist. Um, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half a week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So you could look at this and see this second anointed one is making a covenant, uh, and in the middle of that covenant he breaks it. He, 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 um, he uh, uh, has abomination upon the temple. And what does temple mean? Um, and uh, and his his abomination continues until the fullness of abomination, if the fullness of it's over, and then he is destroyed. Kind of like Pharaoh. Kind of like we see pictures of Antichrist fix, fix, uh, figures. Paul talks very plainly about it in Thessalonians. All right. So the last key issue, before we start tying some of this together, the last key issue is the 70 week, 70th week itself. How do we look at this last week? When is slash was this last week? Is it a continuous week? Is it broken in half with a gap? Um, Is there something that happens in the middle? So um, option type, there's two types of options. Option type is that this week already happened. It's done, it's over with, it already happened. So that's one type of option, and we're going to look at how that uh, gets, gets looked at. So the first option is this. The 70th week is, um, happened in the 2nd century B.C., and it happened during the time of uh, Antiochus IV Epiphanes. He literally confirmed a covenant with many. Um, this covenant was between Antiochus and the Hellenizing Jews in Jerusalem. He made this covenant with them that, that you will now follow the, um, you know, the Greek gods. And in the middle of that 
period of time in which he makes this covenant, he literally comes in and completely desecrates the temple. He sets Zeus up over the altar, sacrifices pigs on the altar. Talk about desolation, the abomination of desolation. I mean, he literally fulfills this prophecy to a T. He comes in and does this completely. And in the end of the week, what happens until his desolation is over? The Maccabean revolt comes along in uh, 164. So you have this three and a half year period of time. 164, and they completely, uh, uh, they form an army, they kick them out, they rededicate the temple, they cleanse the temple, and they still celebrate it today. It's called Hanukkah. Jesus celebrated the Feast of Dedication. It's in the Gospels. The only place it's in the whole Bible is in the Gospels. Um, So it could very well be that this 70th week is a reference to this because we clearly see a person in history who fulfills these things. Option number two. It could also be, again, if we're looking at in the past, that this actually occurred during the life of Christ, that the midpoint is the cross, that there is a gap in the week, but that gap concludes in 70 A.D. Why 70 A.D.? Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse that, there, that the abomination of desolation prophesied by Daniel is going to happen again. And he's talking about the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. And the Roman Emperor Titus comes in. There's a siege against it. And he completely desecrates the temple following in the pattern of Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And it's to this day been destroyed. Gone. Completion. So the completion of his destruction has happened. And so there are some who say, one, it goes back to this second century B.C. event. Others say, no, it, it is in the past, but its past was here what Jesus prophesied there during uh, in Matthew 25. So the second option type is that it's future or partially future. Maybe not the whole thing. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Will somebody please make a decision? Listen, a lot of people have made decisions, and that's my point. My point is we're going to hear all this mixed up in so many different ways. Why don't we just lay it all out so all of us get to hear what all these different ways are? Look, you can end up choosing to to say which one is the way you're going to go with. That's fine. You just need to know that when you hear it all these other different ways, people aren't just making this stuff up. They're not just making it up. They've got good reasons for thinking and believing what they do. And yet there's something else that I think really we need to take away that's beyond this. But I still think we need to go through this. All right. We all good? Y'all need a drink of water too? (laughs) I know you're working up a sweat here. (laughs) All right. So what is this? Is Is it in the future some? Is it the second type? And what does that look like? So, there's option number three here. It's the, it, some call it the last years of human history. They say the last years of human history are referred to by the 70th week, which makes sense. Seven sevens, 49. It's leading us to a jubilee. It's leading us to the 70th seventh, the completion, the final jubilee. So it is not a specific period of time, but a type of time. And now I'm really giving you a clue on where I am. Not a specific period of time, but a type of time. 
Now, there are those who still will hold this as even looking at it future as a specific period of time. But the last years of human history, it's prior to the second advent of Christ. It's a firm covenant is the policies of the Antichrist. So very similar to the following of this Antiochus Epiphanes IV, his firm covenant, okay, that hard covenant. Very similar is that he is a type of Antichrist, and he is. He is a type of the little horn, right? And he is. He is a type of what of, uh, Titus and what they did, uh, um, uh, um, Nero. But that, that he will have policies, covenant policies, for the destruction of the people of God. So some view this week beginning at the time of Christ and the entire church age is a midweek gap. Or, uh, and the end of the week is the time of the Antichrist. Okay, that you get to the end, that's the beginning of the time of the Antichrist, and then when it's over, Jesus returns. Um, some view this uh, ending at the time of, some view this week ending at the time of Christ, and the church age gap is before the 70th week, and the 70th week itself is the time of Antichrist. You see the difference? Some see that we're in that 70th week. Some say, no, we're, that is a very specific time. Anybody heard of the seven-year tribulation? Okay. That would be like, no, that's off in the future. We're in a gap between, and that's going to be the seven-year tribulation in the future. And so some see it that way. But that's probably the view most of us have heard over and over and over again. But how many of us were aware there were all these other views? So, None of the answers are free of problems. None of them. None of the answers are free of problems. All of the answers have, uh, um, uh, are problematic. So what are we going to do? We're going to outline this, and we're going we're to combine these. And we're going to look at what these motifs paint for us as possibilities. Okay? And then we'll summarize it with... Um, with uh, uh, well, I'll summarize it. We'll just go from there. So I love this uh, uh, um, scholar named Montgomery. Witter, uh, Wendy Witter qu- quotes a scholar named Montgomery who's written extensively about this. And I told you this up front. They call the 70 weeks of Daniel. Now you know why I started with this. This passage, interpreting this passage, is literally called the dismal swamp of Old Testament scholarship. <laughs> Because there's so many issues here. The dismal swamp of Old Testament. My wife agrees. <laughs> She's like, that's the best thing you said tonight. <laughs> I know my wife. I can hear her thinking from here. <laughs> if you look at her laughing, you see she's in agreement with me. <laughs> so. Time to tie together the answers. Time to, to, to put these in and look at these different interpretive schema. Remember, that none of them are perfect. None of them are perfect. You know, pick your, pick your imperfect one you like. So, um, so here's what we're going to look at. We have these two schema that go like this. We have one set of schema that sees this time frame interpreted in an eschatological sense. Eschatological means in the sense of end times, end things. We're moving towards the eschaton, towards the completion of everything. That's eschatological. Some see this interpretive schema as historical and in the past. Okay? 
And so those are going to be the two broad paths we're going to take. And we're going to start with the eschatological. We're going to see those, we're going to start there with those that look at this as moving towards the end times. And then we'll take a look at the schema that, that, that look at this historical. But even under those broad categories, there are subcategories. Those that look at it at end times, that we're moving towards the eschaton, that these are speaking towards end times, there's two general ways of looking at it. One is that it's messianic. We're moving towards the end times and it's messianic. Or we're moving towards the end times and it's not messianic. And we'll see how that works out. Now, there are those who say we're moving towards the end times and it is messianic and it's literal. And there's others says, no, it's moving towards the end times and it's messianic and it's symbolic. <laughs> All right. Now, on the historical side, we have something very similar. Historical, we still, once again, break it down. It happened in the past. It happened in the past in a messianic time frame. It happened in an interpretation. It happened in in the past in a non-messianic interpretation. And the non-messianic in the past breaks down to literal versus symbolic. And so we're going to look at these schemas here. So we have several different schemas to take a look at. One, two, three, four, five, six, it looks like. All right. So the first one's going to be, we're moving towards end times. We're looking at views that are moving towards the end times. The first one we're going to look at is the messianic. Now, there's two different ones. One's going to be literal and one's going to be symbolic. So we're going to look at a messianic interpretation that's literal. So the literal messianic interpretation. What choices would we make of our five key issues if I want to say that these 70 weeks is literal and it's messianic, refers to Jesus? What choices do I make? So 70 weeks are significant in Israel's history, especially during the, um, the time of Antiochus uh, the Fourth Epiphanes. But the fulfillment extends to the end of time, the destruction of Antichrist. Some events are finished, some are future. And that's very much how I look at it personally, is that there are some things in this that are done, that are finished, that are over. There are some things in this that are yet to be finished and that are over. See a, a mixture and a combination, and I, and I and I see it is very significant that that passage absolutely refers to Antiochus the Fourth, but it also refers to the Roman destruction, and it also refers to the destruction of Antichrist. All right, so let's start here um, with the Messianic. So the Messianic view means what? It means Jesus is the is the anointed ones is both of the anointed ones. That's the Messianic view. Both of our anointed ones in our passage. So we're going to end up going with the, the NASB translation here. Right? There's both of those anointed ones are Jesus. Seventy weeks have been and will be fulfilled with Jesus' advents. His first coming and his second coming. His first coming and his second coming somehow fulfill the 70 weeks prophecy. They're based on Jesus the Messiah. One of the texts that are used that is used is Hebrews 10. Um, when it talks about Jesus abolishing Old Testament sacrifices. Um, one, one of the texts it uses to get to this view is uh, some of how, how they interpret the book of Revelation. One of the texts it uses to get to this view is the Olivet Discourse. Now, why the Olivet Discourse? Because if the abomination of desolation, and this is important, if that abomination of desolation was in the past, and it occurred and was fulfilled with Antiochus the fourth the epiphanies then how is jesus prophesying it's going to happen again 
How is Jesus saying, look for the prophecy in Daniel of the abomination of desolation if it's already occurred? Unless, okay, and so this is why they say it has to be messianic because, yes, it could refer to him and does, and, and some will say does refer to him, but has more meaning than just that. And so that's this view here, okay? And so this would be based on looking at Dan, Daniel 9.25 as combined. We're going to see this, this view Either the messianic view, whether you're literal or symbolic, either way, you're going to combine the whole 69 into one. You're going to go with how the NASB translates this. That's the choice you have to make. So literal. What's distinguishing about the literal? Um, The literal approach, by the way, is common in what's called dispensational theology. And dispensational theology looks at, looks at the scriptures and God's dealing with humanity in dispensations. They say, well, God dealt with humanity with this dispensation, and then he did this dispensation, and then he did this dispensation. And um, whereas covenant theology would say, well, yes, God had different ways he's dealing, but through the whole thing, there's a covenant of grace. So there are two different perspectives that theologians take at looking at history. Those that take, from my perspective, uh, um, I, I, I don't fall on either camp very hard. Um, I see benefit in both, and I see problems in both. But I think dispensational kind of is like man looking back because they're looking at everything about how God's dealing with man. Where covenant theology is kind of looking like from God looking down because God's showing his grace the whole time. Um, but there's more to it than that. So anyway, dispensational is going to want to, going to want this 490 years to be literal. They like dispensations. They like these broken into boxes of time that we can look at. Um, and so the edict to rebuild after the exile um, uh, up until the second coming of Christ. It's a literal 490 years. So for them, the word that went out, the word that went out, it's going to be one of the two edicts uh, from Artaxerxes. The word that went out is going to be one of the kingly edicts then. Why? Because we're dealing with a little 490 years. And if I'm, if I'm going to get to Jesus, 444 B.C., 445, you subtract 490, subtract those from 490, you're into the life of Christ somewhere. You're into his life. So if I'm going to go literal, I've got to pick one of those. It's, it's, it's made for me if I'm going to go literal. So I've got to pick one. All right? Um, now, what about the 7 and the 62? I'm going combined here. I'm going. I don't have a choice. I've already made my choice. I'm going with, the, with, the, with these two combined. This has to be all together. What about the, um, the second anointed one? Well, the second anointed one, clearly. Um, Jesus is both. He's, he's, we, because we've combined them, he's both, and he's the one who's cut off. The cut off means his crucifixion. So I've got a literal 490 year, 90 years, and quite frankly, you have to go through a fair amount of work to get to a literal specific 490 years. And you see all kinds of things. You'll see things like prophetic years being suggested, um, big things like biblical years being suggested, you know, different ways that they suggest getting there. And, you know, there's different maps and charts to try to work that out. Um, now, the 70th week, what about it? What about that issue? Um, well, there's a gap. And that gap falls between the 69th and 70th year before the Antichrist appears. And that the tribulation is part of that last week. And we're currently alive in the gap. So if I'm, in, if I'm holding this view, this literal messianic eschatology view, that, 70, that 70th week is coming. The Antichrist is coming. 
and that's off in the future. I'm in this gap in between right now. The 69 years are done. They're over. Happened at the cross. We're looking forward to the, 70, the end of the seventh week coming in the future. That's where we are. That's that schema. Most of us have heard that schema one way or another. All right. Now let's look at the symbolic. What about the symbolic one? We're going to take a very similar approach. Seven in the Old Testament means completeness. It means totality. It means perfection. So the 70 weeks is a complete period of time. And again, this is where I tend to fall, especially when this is why I spent the time looking in the prayer. Because when we look in the prayer, it says 70 years of exile. You're hard pressed to nail it down to exact 70 year dates. Right. But we see that it clearly was a reference to a completion of the end of the exile time. Um, the amount of time required. What is it? What does that mean then? A complete time of period. It means the amount of time required to bring in the perfect kingdom of God. That's what it means. Um, so it's up for debate now. When does God bring in the, first, the perfect kingdom of God? Because some say the perfect kingdom of God was brought in in the first advent, pouring out of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost. The realm of the kingdom of God has entered into earth. We become the temple. Some say it's at the advent of Christ. So even here you have some choices to make. Um, so the word that went out in this schema was Cyrus. The word that went out for the Jews to rebuild the temple. Um, the seven and the 62 are combined because we're seeing Jesus as the anointed one. Uh, he's the, um, uh, uh, both the first and the second anointed ones. Um, him being cut off was clearly his crucifixion in this schema. And the, the church age is a gap between the 69th and 70th years the 70th week begins with jesus um and the and the second anointed one as the second anointed one at the tribulation and so the covenant maker there that second anointed one becomes the antichrist so what about the numbers how do you make the numbers work well it doesn't matter they're symbolic you don't have to make the numbers work because they're not referencing they're not there given to us to start a calendar. And I would submit to you, um, there's very little in the scriptures where, I mean, there are points in the scriptures where you could say God's, there is a very specific dates that God's doing things. But a lot of the prophetic isn't about hard dates that God is setting. Like right now, everybody's like trying to set a date for when Jesus is coming back. Right? They're all the time still trying to set dates. What are, what are we told to look for? Not the date, but the season. Understanding it symbolically helps us look for the season, not the date. All right. So the last one on the end times is the non-Messianic. What's the non-Messianic view? How does that tie all this together? So Jesus is not the anointed one in Daniel 9. And this is not a disbelief in Jesus at all. There are, there are many who, who, who hold this view, who are, um, are, are, are um, deeply committed to following Christ. Um, but they simply view the numbers as symbolic and not literal, which is appropriate for this type of literature. We're, we're in the middle of an apocryphal book. This is apocryphal literature. Numbers in apocryphal literature tend to be symbolic. That's what you get is symbolism. Um, the word that went out, therefore, would be in, in the non-Messianic is going to be a word from Yahweh. They're going to go with the Hebrew. And this is the Devar. This is a word. It's a word from Yahweh. Um, Probably one of Jeremiah's prophecies, 605 or 594 B.C. Um, the 7 and the 62 
they're going to see them as two separate things. They're two different events. And so you're going to have either Cyrus, the rubble, or Joshua as your anointed one in the first event. And the exile is going to end, and it's going to be the end of your first seven weeks. And then you get a, that's a full, the end of that first seven weeks is a full measure of time. It's a full measure of time. The end of the exile is over. A full measure of time is over. And now we come to, um, uh, it's not the fullest measure of time. It's why it's only seven weeks. You know, the question, one of the questions we had to ask ourselves, why 7, 62, and, 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 and 70? Why the three different measures? Because seven would be a full measure, not the fullest measure. Is there something in this schema that tells us about a full measure, not the fullest? Yeah, that would be the exile being over and being returned. That's a full measure of time, just not the fullest. Okay, so um, uh, then you get this 62 weeks period of time, and it's in this indefinite period of time. It started with Cyrus, and it goes until the time of the end, when the destroyer is destroyed. So that means what? That the second anointed one refers to the Antichrist. Because we're looking for the fullest measure of time. What, how do we know we get to the fullest measure of time? We get to the fullest measure of time when the tribulation is over, when the Antichrist is destroyed, um, this period of time in which his policies occur, um, and, and he's over. Now you have the fullest measure of time. Now you have 70 weeks. So 70 weeks are decreed to the fullest measure of time. We will have a full measure of time. That's the return. And then we will have the fullest measure of time. And then what will that fullest measure of time will do? It seals prophecy. It brings in the anointed one. It does all of these things. Both things done in the past, the cutting off of sin, the forgiving of transgression, and the things to be done in the future, the full sealing of prophecy and all these other things. And so that's looking at this. And notice that's the non-messianic end time look at it. It doesn't leave Jesus out of it. It just says the characters involved in the prophecy refer to other people who are telling us about things that Jesus comes to do. Does that make sense? Everybody follow that one. Okay? All right. Now we're going to look at historical. There's some historical ones, and we'll finish up with these. Um, so we get, we get in the historical, there's a messianic perspective and a non-messianic perspective. Um, so the, the non the, 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 um, the 70 weeks in the historical are only known history. That's it. They're only known history. Um, those items would be things like the return from exile, the rebuilding of the temple, the restoration of the land, persecution under Antiochus IV Epiphanes, the destruction of the temple by Titus in 70 AD. These known things from history would make up uh, the historical meaning of the 70 weeks. Um, so if I'm going to take a historical, I'm, I might go as long as 70 AD. Um, and so there are some evangelical scholars who hold this position as well. So the first the first historical one would be the messianic one how do we look at this messianically um this would be the roman view when we looked at um when we looked at the great colossal man we had the head of gold the arms of silver uh the midsection of bronze the legs of iron and clay and then the beasts remember the four beasts remember we said there's a roman view and a greek view well this would be a roman view that that this was sealed at the roman view we look at those fourth beast that fourth beast was rome the legs with the clay that was rome and and so we're getting we're moving towards the destruction of the temple and it's and, and so we see these things tie together a bit some of these these things weave together 
So the 70 weeks end with the destruction of the temple by Titus in 70 AD. It sees Jesus as an explicit part of the fulfillment of the 70 weeks. Um, It's somewhat literal, but it does some fudging here, you know, like all good prophetic interpretation does. (laughs) Creative interpretation. Um, So the word that went out, what would that have been? This would have been uh, uh, a decree of, of, of the Persian king Cyrus or Darius. It, it, because this isn't, um, it, it could have taken any one of those decrees, but it would have been one of the Persian kings. Um, it's going to put the two together. It's going to go back to the NASB um, motif of the sixty-nine and seven of the seven and sixty-two is one, and Jesus was the first anointed one. The sixty-nine ends some point during his life, and. Um, the second anointed one, again, is Jesus on the cross. He's the one being cut off. Um, the 70th week then, what ha- what's going on there? That week begins when the 70th week, when the 69 weeks over, that's the start of the 70th week. And the first three and a half days take us to the cross. There's a little bit of a gap. And then, they, then the rest of that week ends at the destruction of the temple because everything's in the past. So we get to the 69. Um, the first half gets us to the, during the life of Jesus, that first half gets us to the cross. Messiah is cut off. He's cut off. He's over. He's done. And then we have a little bit of a gap. And then the, the 70th week finishes when the temple's destroyed. Abomination and desolation. Jesus prophesies at Matthew in the Olivet Discourse. It's over. It's a, it's a reference to the past. All right. Now we have one last one, but it has two parts. But we're almost there. We're really close. Um, and everybody, everybody just automatically right now put 130 points in your bank for being here this long. You get 130 points right now. <laughs> We're almost out of the, the, the dismal abyss of Old Testament. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving encouragement to my wife here. All right. <laughs> Last part here. Um, the non-Messianic approach, historical, is going to deal, it's going to be the Maccabean approach. It reaches its climax during the Maccabean period, and, uh, or we could also refer to it as the Antiochus IV period. And it really sees this character as central to this prophecy. Um, and when we get into the next chapter, we're going to see these issues that are going to go on with the Ptolemies and the Seleucids and these characters. They're going to come out in the next chapters, but we're also going to have to deal with other issues like this as well. All right. So... Um, the, non, the, the literal version, what's the literal version? So the literal version says it's from 587 to 164. There you go. How do you like that for literal? Now, the scholars who come up with this are typically um, um, what I call critical scholarship. And if you add that, you find that doesn't add to 490. And their answer, their answer is, well, that's not our problem. It's the author's problem. The author didn't get the years right. <laughs> I'm just telling you what they say. So, the word going out, Jeremiah's prophecy, 587 BC. They clearly follow the Masoretic text, dividing it into two. There's two different events. The first anointed one, Cyrus. The exile ends. You have the end of the first seven weeks. It's a full measure of time, but it's not the fullest. You have 62 so, until. Um, uh, to the indefinite time of Cyrus at the end of time and the destroyer is destroyed. Wait a minute. Yeah. 
And then we get our second anointed one. That was not fully right. I wasn't supposed to put all that in there. Oh, no, no. That was right. I see it now. I see it now. So you get this 62 weeks, which is this period of time from Cyrus to the end of time when the destroyer is destroyed. So what's that about? The second anointed one is Ananias III. He's the high priest who was murdered in 171. You have the cut. It's his death is the cutting off, and it closes out the 62 weeks. So what's the 70th week? Becomes the reign of terror of Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And in the middle of that week, you have the desecration of the temple. The end of that week, you have the rededication of the temple. The Maccabees come up. We talked about that. The Maccabees lead a revolution, a rebellion, and they um, conquer the temple, rededicate it, and we have Hanukkah. Okay, last one. The last one says that it's non-Messianic and it's symbolic. It's not literal. Um, and uh, it's a, a stylized scheme of history. And one of, 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 of John Golden Gay, who's a very um, prominent uh, Old Testament scholar, says the numbers don't need to work. Why? Because it's the, cul- the culmination is the reestablishment of the Jewish state under the Hasmoneans, the Maccabees. And his whole point was is what he's try, what, this is what Daniel's trying to get to here is um, that these numbers are just symbolic. We don't have to have these starting points and ending points, and we don't have to make all of these choices. Um, what we have to understand is that what we're clearly seeing is the, the fullness of time of the reestablishment of the Jewish state under the Maccabees. And that happens when the, the, the temple is rededicated. Now, here's my problem with the historical ones that want to end in the time of uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. I've already told you. Who knows what my problem is? I've already told you what it was. Exactly. The Olivet Discourse. Okay. That's worth 230 points right there. That's 230. To you, for you to have followed all of that to that point and be able to hit it like that, that's 230 points. I'm impressed. Very good. Next time you'll teach it. <laughs> yes. That's exactly right. Jesus prophesied the abomination of desolation in Daniel. How could, how could Antiochus IV Epiphanes have actually been the full point of the prophecy when Jesus is saying there's still more of that prophecy to be fulfilled? So you can still have a historical view because you can see that it's 70 AD, but it, you have to at least get there. You have to at least go to there. You can't stop it before that. All right. So summary and purpose. Why all of this? Why all of this? Number one, once again, we don't shy away from all the different ways people interpret the Bible when we're looking at it. We want to bring them all up, and we want to weigh them. Um, and so that's why we take the time to do it. Because I, I don't want uh, – the, the last thing is, is for one of us to walk out of here and to say, well and, – and, and hear a teacher say, this is the way it is, and go, well, that's different than what I heard there. You know. Now, I will give you my opinion and tell you which one I think is right or wrong. I have no problem doing that. But I want us to, as much as I'm able for, and as much as we have time to do, be aware of what's out there and how these things go. Um, you have survived the dismal swamp of Old Testament scholarship. <laughs> give yourself 130 points right now in your bank. Well, I'll give you a bonus 20 right there, making it an even 150. All right. So... As I, I hope we can see this. Not, none of the answers ha, are, are problem-free. None of them. You probably, some of you probably have your favorite answer in there, and that's fine. But just recognize it's not problem-free. There's, there's issues with all of them, whether it's, you know, creative number counting or, you know, whatever it is. 
Um, maybe it's just having to choose between which way you're going to look at the. You, you have decided that the scholars who interpret the text this way are right, and the scholars who interpret this text are wrong, and you've made that decision. But no, you brought your choice to that. You didn't get that from the text. All right, so here's what we have to ask. Was this passage really trying to give us a script the end of history? Was that what Gabriel was trying to do in answering Daniel's prayer? Was Gabriel there to give Daniel a script? Did Daniel, after Gabriel left, feel like he had a script for the end of history? In whatever way you put all this together, the New Testament tells us that the 70 weeks have significance. So they have to go beyond Antiochus IV Epiphanes. This 70 weeks has significance for our lives today. So it's not just ancient Jewish history. However, the New Testament itself doesn't tell us how in a literal sense. It it doesn't tie it all together. This is from a scholar, Ernest Lucas. He says, the language of verses 26 and 27 is sufficiently elusive to permit the application of these verses to later situations where the same pattern is appearing in history. Catch what he's saying here. The language was given to us in a way so that you can't nail it down so hard so that it can't be used over and over as it's needed to. Huh. So God's not trying to give us science. He's trying to give us truth. Hmm. We try to do science when he's trying to give us truth. He could... No, it can be. He, what, what I said was, let me, let me, I'll say it again. Um, this, there's a pattern here. This recurrence of a pattern. Oops, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, the language is sufficiently elusive that it can be reapplied to later situations as we see a pattern appearing in history. It's to tell us about a pattern of, how, of God dealing with his people, God dealing in the world. There is a pattern to which he deals in the world, and we can see it. And so when we see it and we stop at Antiochus Epiphanes, it should cause us to stop and go, wow, that's an incredible fulfillment of that. We should stop at that point in history and see the pattern has been fulfilled there. But we should do the same thing at the cross. We should do the same thing at the destruction of the temple. Because we have been given this pattern by which to look at the events in history. God's, and this is what I said. God's not trying to get us to do science. He's trying to get us to understand truth. It is notable that when Mark 13, 14 and Matthew 24, 15 use the motif of the abomination that desolates. In other words, they're going back and it's taken from Daniel 9, these verses right here. When they do that, neither of them refer to 70 weeks. They just refer to the abomination of desolation. Isn't that interesting? They just refer to the abomination of desolation. It is the recurrence of a pattern of a persecution of God's people focused on the temple that is being highlighted. 
Now, why should that be important to us? Yeah, but why should it, a pattern focused on the temple be important to us? Bingo. Because if that is a pattern that is referencing to what happened, the abomination of desolation by Antichrist figures to the temple, who is the temple? What do you think it might be referring to? You don't need to have a rebuilding of a temple for there to be an abomination of desolation of the temple by Antichrist. Something that should make us say, hmm. Whether the 490 years are literal or symbolic, whether they are apocalyptically reporting current events of the original readers, or they are prophesying the events of Jesus, the message of Daniel is consistent with the rest of the entire book of Daniel. God is sovereign. He is having his way in human history. Evil kings are going to do what evil kings are going to do, and God's going to bring about his purposes in spite and even through them. And this is what he says. He says, prayer prayer is vital to the life of faith. What even brought us to getting this understanding? The prayer of Daniel in obedience to the word of God. He's studying the word of God, wanting to see how God's going to move in the world. And it leads him and moves him to prayer. And it's this intense prayer. And we're going to see this intense prayer is going to give us more as we look at the next couple of chapters. And and that, that out of this life of prayer, out of this vital prayer life, this engaging God in this world with his word, God sovereignly rules human history, and he does that through us. This is why Gabriel shows up and tells Daniel. And a key to how he does that is repentance. It's the essential prerequisite for reconciliation with God. That whole prayer was, God, lead us in repentance. We confess our sin to you. And he's leading in this as a prophet because it's not an expression of his life, but it is as he's representing. Who are we representing? Well, I would flip it the other way. Yes, absolutely, we're representing Jesus, but Daniel was representing Israel back to God. Who are we representing back to God? Who are we standing in the gap for, like Israel, like Daniel standing in the gap for Israel? How many of us would like to have Gabriel show up and answer our message? (laughs) How many of us are standing in the gap interceding? God is faithful to his covenantal promises to deliver and restore his people. And this is the message that we're getting out of this. There are clear messages from the text, regardless of how unclear the details are. There are clear messages, and we, we want to arm wrestle over the unclear, and we, <laughs> Jesus had a really, really good saying for that. I don't, I'm trying to remember. I don't think Jesus, Jesus didn't have it. It wasn't Jesus. It was a different one. It's one we use. Um, we strain a gnat and swallow a camel. That's not in the New Testament, is it? No, I'm getting it confused with another idiom. But we do that. We strain a gnat and we swallow a camel. We should be careful about dogmatism on these passages. So this is, this is my take um, as we come down here. I mean, this is borrowing from Craig Keener when those that uh, were um, uh, had any connection to when we were going through a revelation. 
One of the things Keener points out, because Revelation deals with this whole seventh week and, you know, the, the, actually he deals with the, the, the three and a half year period of time quite a bit. And one of the things Keener points out is we can, we can try and, and make that a literal period of time if we want. We can do that. He says, but when you look at what the book of Revelation is, the message of it is, it's, not, it's, it's very much less about a specific period of time and more about a type of time. It's a type of time. Because you, because the, we, how many know we are literally considered to be in the last days, according to New Testament authors? The last days started at the day of Pentecost. Peter stands up, and he prophesies. Joel said, and the Holy Spirit's poured out, it's the last days. There you go. This is the last days according to Joel. We're in the last days. This is a type of time. And Revelation points out that there's tribulation all through that. And we have gone through ups and downs of great times and periods of tribulation. Um, I would submit to you that these are bits better understood as type of time rather than a prediction of a specific time. Um, now, you know, you know I, I don't think it was wrong to do the exercises we did. In fact, I think that I learned a lot from doing that myself, and, I, and there's some things I take away from it. But what was the purpose of it? What was the purpose of these 70 weeks? To finish the transgression. To make an end of sin. To make atonement for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy. To anoint the most holy place. This is the purpose. We can all walk away with that purpose. It is a type of time. Regardless of how long it took, it is a type of time. It is the work of God in this world. And we see these things punctuated throughout this time. And we know it will culminate when he returns. So we can be amazed at the faith of the example of Daniel reading scripture and calling to God in intercessory prophetic repentant prayer. We can, I'm amazed at that. I mean, he literally he read it. Babylon's destroyed 70 years. Lord, it's time. You need us to repent. I'll be the one. He's Isaiah. Here am I, Lord. Send me. We can be amazed that Gabriel physically shows up as an answer to Daniel's prayer. I'm amazed at that. Right? And we can know that the same God hears our prayers. We can know that Gabriel's words apply to us just the same way they apply to Daniel. You've been heard. God's favor is on you. He has a time and he's going to complete it. Amen? Amen. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you for helping us get through this passage of Scripture because you gave it to us as your word. You don't desire for us to be confused. You desire for us to be blessed, to be encouraged, to be uplifted, to be pensive, to think, to wonder, to be amazed. To stand with hope. To follow the example of the witnesses who have gone before us. Help us, Lord, like Daniel. Look at your word and say, how can we represent you to this world? And how can we represent this world back to you? Calling on you. Standing in the gap. Interceding. Prophetically. For you to accomplish your purposes. 
bless you and I thank you, Lord, and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, I am like seriously way over, guys. There's no time for questions. Just greet each other and put the chairs back. And if you want to wander up and ask me a question, you can. I thank you for your patience for staying the extra few minutes to go through this. I did not want to break this into two weeks. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) You're more than welcome to watch again. But if you will, please help with the chairs. I appreciate it.